This week on the Backtable Podcast. The importance here is that this can be, I think, widely adapted to kind of our entire field. We've seen things on Twitter, social media, at SIR Angio Club, uh, with people kind of out there in all different areas getting their feet wet here. Yeah. And I kind of encourage everyone, I think, to uh, sort of push the limits and try it. It's extremely helpful. It can be learned by all of us. So those are going to be part of these training programs that are going to be kind of launched throughout the country. I think they're doing like somewhere between six to eight courses that will have probably about 10 people per, per course for each session um, in the coming months. And I think it's really exciting because there's going to be that hands-on component, as Jeff said, uh, in addition to the didactic portion. And then hopefully by the end of it, you'll be able to get a credentialing letter saying that you've done this course. Just like with Y90, we get the letters to say that we're credentialed to do it by the companies. Hopefully that will help with you getting credentialed at your hospital so that you can uh, get privileges to do these procedures. Welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things endovascular or otherwise minimally invasive. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in and encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or reach out to us on Twitter or email to let us know how we can make this a more valuable resource for the endovascular community. Medtronic offers a comprehensive portfolio of products for the embolization of the peripheral vasculature. Learn more about the MVP microvascular plug system and concerto detachable coil system at medtronic.com embolization. This is Michael Barraza returning as your host, recording from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm thrilled to welcome back two friends and seasoned veterans of the Backtable podcast to talk with me about using Spyglass. Big thanks and welcome to Drs. Ravi Srinivasa and Jeffrey Chick. Thanks, guys. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thanks for having us over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Excited to be here for like, what? what is it now, the fourth time? Fourth time is a real long time and some, some big changes since uh, the last time I had you guys on here. Uh, you guys are both in new cities and new jobs, uh, you know, and, and still producing legendary content for, for everybody uh, and, and really kind of guiding the path of research in interventional radiology. Tell us where you are now and, uh, you know, tell us about your new job, something you love about it, Robbie. Yeah, so, so I'm at UCLA now. I've been here about three years, it's going on three years now. We've got a really large group here compared to the other practices I've worked at. We've got 16 IR faculty uh, that do a wide variety of interventions uh, from portal interventions to lymphatic to endoscopic to venous arterial work. Uh, so really a broad mix of cases that we do here at UCLA. It's really uh, a great group to work at. We have these outpatient-based facilities uh, spread out throughout uh, the LA area just because uh, LA is such a big community having these outpatient-based facilities has really helped give access to care to patients at, throughout LA. And some of our best angio units are really at some of these outpatient-based facilities. Um, our trainees are more than welcome to come to these facilities and, uh, and we do, you know, simple and complex interventions there. And then our really complex interventions get done at the hospitals, uh, either our Reagan campus, our main campus, or Santa Monica hospital. Um, I do pretty much most of our endoscopic stuff at Santa Monica hospital and, uh, the setup is just perfect for, uh, for doing those cases. Ravi, a lot of our listeners are, are medical students. Just for them, uh, could you tell us a little bit about the program for prospective applicants? Yeah, so we have, uh, we have medical students who rotate through our uh, groups. So we do do, and we are still actively doing uh, visiting medical internships for students who are outside of uh, UCLA. And uh, we have basically a core rotation where we have you rotate through a Ronald Reagan, our main campus, and then our Santa Monica Hospital. 
um, where we do pretty much a huge variety of interventions, lymphatic, portal, venous interventions, arterial work. And one of the unique things about the practice, which maybe the medical students don't really teach through, but the, the residents and fellows eventually who, who come on uh, will eventually go to are these outpatient-based facilities, and outpatient-based labs. Oh, cool. And because LA is such a spread out city and uh, our program has kind of designed this model where we have outpatient-based facilities kind of all around the city, giving access to care to patients, you know, who may live further away from the main campuses and allowing us to do, you know, pretty complex interventions. Some of our best angio suites are in these outpatient-based facilities. And I've found it to be a really rewarding experience. I never thought of myself as liking outpatient work, but it's <laughs> nice and predictable and you can, you can get, uh, get stuff done in a quick way and, and do still do complex work. Uh, and then just go to the hospital when you got to do uh, bigger cases. Yeah. That's a unique opportunity for the trainees though. I mean, it's something that we've talked about here on the podcast, it, you know, things you can do in an outpatient setting and, uh, you know, it's just, it's something that not a lot of people are exposed to before they kind of take that out on their own. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Jeff, what about you? Tell us about University of Washington. Yeah. So like Ravi, I have a new job as well up here at the University of uh, Washington. So Ravi and I are both on the West Coast now. I've taken a more active role in the residency here as the uh, associate program director. So I help lead the uh, residency up here. I'm in charge of the lymphatic and venous disease program as well. So I'm pretty busy. And uh, I think in my spare time, I finally bought a house. So I've been working on all of that. And uh, Seattle's home now. And do you like Seattle? I was yeah, born there. And so it produces great people. It's Yeah, exactly. I mean, you and everyone else, it's, um, I mean, fantastic. It's nowhere near as rainy as people say. The outdoors are unbelievable. And I've loved everything about it. The only sad thing is Robbie's pretty close, but I don't get to visit him that often. Yeah, you guys should try to arrange a uh, a joint case somewhere in the middle between LA and Seattle, just for yeah. time's sake. Yeah, I, I got to say, I, I miss I miss burning the midnight oil with uh, with Jeff uh, at Michigan. I mean, we would do cases till nine or ten p.m. at night I every recall. day of the week. I remember talking to the two of you when you guys were always seemingly at the hospital, but doing something that no one had ever heard of before. <laughs> we still exactly. bounce ideas off one another now, but it's not quite the same. And it seems like you're still both doing things that nobody's ever heard of. You're just not doing them together, which is sad and awesome. I think that's kind of kind of true. And I think we've uh, sort of helped one another, as we'll talk about today with the spyglass. I mean, that came out after we uh, had separated. So we've been kind of working through these things together and doing cases kind of over the phone and talking about things. So separated. it's a, exactly, but it's a great device. And I think it uh, we're here to help you guys learn about it today. Separated, but I'm glad you haven't signed those divorce papers. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> just real quick, I mean, tell me about the University of Washington residency program. So I think like Ravi said, I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal here too. Uh, Ravi has sort of the benefit of the outpatient centers. Uh, something I think here that we have that's unique, we have four, soon to be five unique centers. And sort of the crown jewel for us is uh, our trauma center, Harborview Medical Center. Right. So we see things that I have never seen anywhere else. We get traumas all day and night from five different states, motor wow. vehicle accidents, uh, snowmobile accidents, mauled by bears, uh, <laughs> tractors rolled all over you. So it's a very unique training opportunity that I certainly haven't had the opportunity to participate in before. Like Ravi said, we do everything else. We do oncology. We do a lot of the PAD and arterial work. We do tons of venous work. So it's an excellent residency for those guys uh, who are interested in IR. 
And we too are uh, taking medical students for clerkships right now. So if you're interested, apply and we'd love to have you here. All right. I will keep that in mind and send in my application. Uh, <laughs> Again, it's soon. awesome, man. Those are some of my favorite cases. We should do a trauma series. Um, those are, they're so much fun. Exactly. And, and these are traumas like I've never seen, like, uh, yeah. like, I don't know, fell in a hole in the ice in Alaska and I don't know, severed your leg and things like that. So they're, uh, they're quite different than the things I think that, ro- that we all saw in Philadelphia. So sounds like both of you have ended up in really great places. They're still doing really great things. I will reserve my judgment over which one is better for the trainees, but they've got both of you. So, you know, great places to go somewhere where everybody should keep in mind when you're looking at applications. So let's want to talk about the spyglass, which sounds like it's for espionage or treasure hunting. Uh, and it's actually not something that I've used, uh, but obviously uh, you guys are experts in it. So, you know, using this for endoscopic interventions, which you guys are the experts. How is it different from what you guys were using before? So Ravi taught me most of uh, what I know with the endoscopic interventions. And when we were at Michigan together, we had the whole host of different kinds of rigid, flexible endoscopes, uh, reusable and disposable endoscopes. We had all the tools and we were able to complete everything. But that was sort of a uh, unique set that was at Michigan and a couple various institutions throughout the country. This device uh, has sort of revolutionized the field, I think, in the aspects that it's relatively easy, it's disposable, and everyone can have access, widespread access to this across uh, all practice types, private practices, academic centers, uh, sole practices, hybrid practices. It's relatively, it's easy to obtain and super easy to use. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the we kind of evolved from the litho view, which is our first disposable scope that Jeff and I had used while we were at Michigan, which was more of a urologic scope that we kind of just used for biliary intervention as well. The difference between the litho view and the spyglass is that the litho view just uses this continuous irrigation system where you're basically infusing right. fluid through the scope continuously. So you don't have on-demand irrigation. It's just you're continuously putting fluid in. So it ends up that you use a lot more fluid volume than you would with now with the spyglass. The the spyglass also, one of the differences is that it has four-way flexion. So you can flex in mediolateral craniocaudal as opposed to the lithoview, which only had bidirectional flexing uh, capabilities. So it's really made these cases, like the biliary cases, so much easier to do. And um, the image quality is fantastic. You don't need to have like a separate monitor as well. With the litho view, you had to plug it into this little portable monitor. The spyglass actually just plugs right into your fluoro monitor. So you just disconnect one of the BGA or DVI ports on the back. That's one of the extra monitors and basically plug in there and you got your you got your spyglass endoscopic image right next to your fluoro. And it, it just works so seamlessly. They now have the ability to actually record some of these images now, so you can actually upload them into the packs, which we weren't able to do in the past. In the past, we were just using our cell phone cameras. And if you look at uh, some of the video footage from some of the cases that we've shown in the past, they're really just from our cell phone cameras, which which seems really crude when we live in the uh, in 2021. But uh, but at least now we've we've kind of got that capability, and it, it really works seamlessly. I will say I have this very fond memory when we were in Michigan of the uh, litho view and Ravi going to Best Buy uh, to buy a bunch of adapters to try to connect the litho view to the PAC <laughs> system. And it was quite endearing. It seemed like it should be so easy. Like, how did it not have that? Uh, he spent several days doing it. 
and it wouldn't work. <laughs> now, now it's just a, a plug and play into the Angio suite. The images are beautiful. And like Robbie said, I mean, we have ours all hooked up to packs. So they all get pushed to packs right afterwards. Uh, we can see all the images for all the cases. The uh, referrers and other clinicians can see all the images too. You can save them for PowerPoints, for conferences, for scholarly activities. It's quite easy. It's changed things a lot. That's cool. So, I mean, are there different scope options for your different interventions, you know, GI, GU, biliary, or is it kind of one size fits all and you can use it for the different parts of the body? I think with the spyglass, you can probably use it for pretty much most things. Uh, I, I suppose you could put it in the genital urinary system. It's not really FDA approved or designed for that. The litho view is what's supposed to be used sure. for a disposable scope in the urinary system. You, you, I suppose you could put it anywhere. I, on Thursday of this last week, I put it through a gast, I put the spyglass through a gastrostomy track to, to help convert a G to a GJ that had, had failed fluoroscopic interventions multiple times. They just couldn't convert it from a G to a GJ. And it was just because this, the, the, the J just took like this crazy turn right at the pylorus to get into the duodenum and, it, and with the spyglass, it was just so much easier to do. So you really could put it anywhere. Uh, it's, it's a 10 French scope. So you just need a 12 French peel away or 12 wow. inch size aperture and you can really put it into anything you want. Yeah. I think as Robbie said, it, it's 60 center, 65 centimeters in length and it rotates in all directions. Like Robbie said, about like 10.5 French and has a, uh, three or 3.6 French working channel. So it's a, the appropriate length, I think, for doing nearly anything, biliary, genital, urinal, gastrointestinal, without being too long or being too cumbersome with some of the gastrointestinal scopes or the ERCP scopes. So it, it actually is, frankly, the perfect working length to visualize and to use a bunch of ancillary devices, baskets and lasers and uh, lithotriptors and so forth uh, without it being too lengthy and cumbersome. So that brings up my next question. I was going to ask you about the the different features that you can use with it, you know, in terms of laser, the lithotripsy, the baskets is, you know, are these adaptations, you know, are these made by the same, whoever, are these made by the people who make spyglass? I think it's Boston Scientific or, you know, is it just other devices you can put through the scope? Well, I'll say I'm kind of still on the uh, basic end. So I'll talk a little bit about my stuff and then Ravi can talk about the way more advanced things that he's doing. So the thing that I've liked here is we've struggled a little bit with the power outlets or the uh, just the infrastructure that we have in some of the rooms. So uh, the voltage doesn't accommodate all the previous lasers that we had used. So the Boston Ty Scientific actually makes it their own lithotriptor uh, that comes easily with the scope, is disposable. It just plugs right into the tower, just like the scope, just like the irrigation system. And it basically just comes out of a package. So you can use their own uh, lithotriptor. I find it does pretty well for the majority of things. And in situations where I'm in a bind or where I don't have the uh, right power outlets for some of the lasers, and I imagine some other folks out there, some other listeners might not have the same, might have limited resources as well. This makes it quite easy for sort of a one-stop shop, easy setup. And you don't need a lot of other resources. So I've had no trouble with the lithotriptor uh, that comes with Boston from Boston. And it's done great for the majority of cases. I know Ravi's done a lot more fancy things with it. So I'll let him talk about those. Yeah. So uh, so in terms of baskets and stuff like that that are available, just to start off with that, 
Um, so in the past with the litho view and with other uh, reusable scopes, we've always used these 1.9 and three French zero tip baskets, uh, also made by Boston. Uh, but one of the things about them is that they're really on a long delivery system. And so you have a lot of wires sticking out when you go to put it into the scope. Uh, so Boston has actually made a new 2.4 French uh, zero tip basket that's really just designed specifically for the spyglass discover. I'm not sure if it's uh, commercially available yet, but I think it will be very soon if it's not. And uh, the nice thing is you can basically put the basket all the way in until it's practically hubbed and then you open the basket and it's just designed specifically for uh, for that scope. So works beautifully. I've also used the lithotripter, which is nice, especially if you're having trouble getting laser privileges at your hospital, if you're trying to start a program at your uh, hospital and, and you're getting resistance on getting laser privileges. It's great to have the lithotripter available. Also, if there's the power outlet issue, because you really need a 240 volt outlet to, to use a laser. Um, but laser works really well for stones. You can, you can set it at various settings to either dust a stone, meaning just turn it into like tiny little particles, or you can set it on a setting that just cracks the stone. Uh, and depending on what you want to achieve, you can, you can even make incisions using the, the laser. So it really gives you a lot more versatility if you can get the holmium laser in. Uh, but it comes in a, a f quite a few different sizes as far as micron size fibers. Uh, there's a 200 micron, there's a 365. There's bigger ones as well that really we don't use in the biliary system. Uh, but, uh, but they work beautifully and just make quick work of uh, stones. And then, you know, in terms of other things like the spy bite, there's a, there's a uh, biopsy device that you can use to do targeted biopsies if you say have a lesion. I'm sure you guys have had experiences where you've done brush biopsies of a biliary stricture and it comes back like atypical cells or, or non-diagnostic. And, and what do you do with that information? Do you go back and do it again? But the nice thing with spyglass is you can go in, look and see where the abnormality is, target it with, a, with your scope and then use the spy bite and just take an actual piece of the abnormal area of tissue in the bile duct. Um, and it just makes these targeted biopsies much more easy. Yeah, and I think there's so much potential here. They're working on other tools that we can insert through the spyglass. Actually, some of the interesting stuff, I was up in Marlboro uh, just a couple of, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about this technology that the urologists have uh, called StoneSmart, which is basically this technology that actually uses artificial intelligence to detect when your laser is pointed at a stone. And if you're pointed at a stone, it automatically activates the laser. And when you're not pointed at the stone, it just automatically turns off. So kind of cool, maybe gimmicky features, but, but seems like uh, there's just a lot of potential here for innovation and for, uh, for uh, development of new, new tools and technologies to just make this uh, stuff work even better. Man, that's exciting, especially for me, the, uh, the biliary biopsy, which has been the bane of my existence uh, for the last few years is, is trying to find the best way to sample a biliary stricture and, and being able to target it like that is very attractive. Are you primarily doing biliary interventions with the spyglass? Yeah, so pretty much most, if not all, biliary interventions, I've switched over to using spyglass now. Um, it, uh, it it does come at a little bit of a premium compared to the LithoView, but it's really actually worth it. I find that the additional features that you have, the jet irrigation and things like that, just make it work so much better than uh, than our uh, older scopes that we were using, the reusable scopes and the uh, LithoView. Um, it just works a lot better. And so I've used it pretty much for all of my biliary interventions now. So tell me this then, uh, where are you still using the LithoView and other scopes? I, uh, for my first couple of cases here at the University of Washington, I used the LithoView for a few cases and now it sits in a closet somewhere. 
and we don't use it for anything else. I think it's a little bit of a testament here where uh, there's a little bit of resistance to uh, new technologies and setting things up at my institution, but this device on a whole has been readily adopted and accepted. And even my nurses and my techs, they don't even fret when I want to do a case because it's so easy to set up. It's just the interventions are quick. I know that I sort of uh, struggled in the past. I mean, we had quite a good infrastructure at Michigan, but even with all the people, all hands on deck, uh, at times it was somewhat challenging to uh, set up all the equipment. Now it's really seamless. And I know it's just not Ravi and I, but I mean, many, many people across the country are using it now and I think have had some pretty fantastic results. So Jeff, tell me this, the the learning curve, you know, going from lith- lithoscope or, uh, sorry, litho-view or, or, you know, whatever else you guys were using, is it is it pretty easy to translate the skills that you got from that to the spyglass? Yeah, I would say, frankly, the spyglass is a little bit easier. I mean, the, the setup in general, there is no setup, so or very little setup. It's kind of plug and play. So that is uh, quite easy. And there's sort of limited uh, options. It's, I, I mean, you definitely, any interventional radiologist would be able to pick it up quickly. And I think a little bit of uh, a plug for what Ravi was talking about earlier I think for those of you concerned and the listeners concerned, Boston Scientific with a bunch of us uh, is starting and will be starting an educational course so that all of us that want to be more involved and become more comfortable with actually using the devices and the various pieces of equipment and worrying about credentialing and just knowing what's out there. I'd say over the next couple of months, it's going to be an exciting time because we're working on and Boston's working on getting a package out to help all of us. That's exciting. One more question for you. You know, we're talking about how easy this is to use in the setup and, and the advantages it has, especially in the, the biliary tree. Are GI docs and, and, and other doctors, you know, that are trained in endoscopy using these too? Uh, so they have, a, they have a longer version that they use. And like you kind of alluded to, I think part of it is, at least I can tell you at my institution, they weren't even aware that these things could even be done. We have a huge liver transplant program and a variety of hepatobiliary surgeries that take place. And often patients have, you know, altered anatomy, ruin Y anatomy, all sorts of things uh, where uh, the other specialties can't retrieve these stones. And they weren't aware that we could even do these things. So I think with a little education and uh, knowing that if they struggle or they have patients, there's a whole host of things that we can do. Uh, now we've kind of, they've used similar equipment, but they know that we have similar equipment as well. And so we work quite well together and, uh, we do like, they try certain cases, we try certain cases, we bounce cases back and forth. So now that the world kind of knows of the options, I think it's been quite beneficial, at least here at my institution. Yes. Same for me. We've, we've, we've kind of developed a collaborative relationship with our GI group and, uh, We'll help out with, with some of their cases uh, if they want to do a rendezvous, but then we'll also at the same time do perk access and they're aware that we do it. And I think that's an important part of building a program if you're going to start doing endoscopy at your hospital uh, is that you work with the GIs rather than against them. Even though most of the scopes and equipment that we use are more in line with what urologists use, obviously spyglass is something that GI uses, but Really, the tools and techniques are designed for a much shorter profile percutaneous system, which more more is on the line of what urologists use when they're doing stone treatments 
you know, working with urology too. And, you know, if you're just trying to start out a program and you're not sure how to do it, you can also talk to your urology colleagues and see if they're willing to help. Uh, but I've found that making sure that you maintain that good relationship with your uh, gastroenterology buddies uh, is important. Otherwise, uh, your program will not be successful. Right on. That's really valuable information. Guys, I, I think that covers most of what I had. But as I said, this is not something I'm currently using in my practice, though it is certainly something I am going to look into to adding. Uh, is there anything else that I've missed that you think it's important to cover? No, I think the importance here is that this can be, I think, widely adapted to kind of our entire field. We've seen things on Twitter, social media, at SIR Angio Club, uh, with people kind of out there in all different areas getting their feet wet here. Yeah. And I kind of encourage everyone, I think, to uh, sort of push the limits and try it. It's extremely helpful. It can be learned by all of us. And I would encourage, I mean, there's a strong community out there of many of us. Uh, and if anyone has questions or concerns, you can always contact Ravier and I. Uh, and like I said, I think Boston Scientific is going to be doing a, um, a course to be helping us all shortly uh, with some modules and some credentialing activities and some, we're going to have some hands-on uh, skill sets at various places across the country, uh, which I think will really help solidify this. And as Robbie said, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff coming out to kind of make this uh, an arena that will be uh, productive and helpful for all of our patients. That sounds fantastic. I actually kind of worked on this prototype that they made uh, just recently uh, that they printed, 3D printed using silicone. And I, I remember when Jeff and I were at Michigan, we 3D printed some models to kind of do for, to create for teaching purposes using PLA plastic. And there was just so much friction in these models that it made it very hard to really use. Um, these new silicone ones, I, I just tried it out the other day. It just works beautifully. Like it, it really emulates what you're going to feel when you're, when you're actually doing a case and you can just put in, we, we found that putting chalk into the mold actually emulated a stone really nicely because you could use the EHL and, and blow the chalk pieces up to smithereens. So those are going to be part of these training programs that are going to be kind of launched throughout the country. I think they're doing like somewhere between six to eight courses that'll have probably about 10 people per, per course for each session um, in the coming months. And I think it's really exciting because there's going to be that hands-on component, as Jeff said, uh, in addition to the didactic portion. And then hopefully by the end of it, you'll be able to get a credentialing letter saying that you've done this course. Just like with Y90, we get the letters to say that we're credentialed to do it by the companies. Hopefully that will help with you getting credentialed at your hospital so that you can uh, get privileges to do these procedures. Well, I'm going to use this podcast as my golden ticket to get one of those spots in the training course. And then I'll tell you all about it. I'll say one one last plug I want to have here. So, uh, Ravi, uh, Harjeet Singh and I are working on creating an anatomic atlas, an endoscopy-based atlas for the future for all of the, the techniques and the pathologies that we see. It's kind of a project that we're starting on now. So if anyone's interested or wants to contribute, uh, we're hoping to kind of make a, a new endeavor here to kind of classify everything that we're doing and the pathology specifically. That's awesome. Is it it's going to be a book? Eventually one day. It's in the <laughs> it's in the very infancy well, right now. Hopefully this will make it easier to get pictures. Exactly, exactly. So this will be I think this will sort of be the starting tool. Uh we've been in talks and have approval now, so it's uh will be a project for the coming years or so. Man, that's exciting. I can't wait to have you guys back on and talk about it once you guys finish this. Thank you.
Well, guys, thank you for sharing your Sunday with us and your expertise as always. Um, I'm going to try to find an excuse to have you back on sometime in the near future, but we are grateful as always. Well, thank you for having us again. It was a pleasure as always, and it's nice to talk to all of you. Yeah, I appreciate it greatly. We'll, we'll talk again real soon. All right, good. I hope so. And thank you again to our listeners.